At the age of 15, he was the youngest ever brand ambassador for Britain's largest business conference, the Business Show. Also, at the age of 15, when people don't even think about starting businesses, he already made his first business exit, first company exit. He sold his company at the age of 15. And uh, since then, uh, he started his own company and he has successfully raised over $700,000 in funding from various sources, including uh, angel investors, renowned angel investors in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, joining us all the way from the UK, our guest this week is Carl Swanapol, the founder of Revolancer. Revolancer is a platform that helps independent professionals and freelancers barter their skills to build their service businesses. Let's hear from Carl about his story, his journey. Carl, thank you so much for taking our time and joining us here on the Be Your Own Boss podcast. Welcome to the show. Well, it's my pleasure and thanks for having me. Cool. So, Carl, let's start with your story like we always do on the Be Your Own Boss podcast. Uh, let's start with your story right from the beginning. So tell us about your, your parents, your siblings, your childhood memories. Sure. Um, well, I was born in South Africa. Um, I, I grew up there for, well, I was living there until I was about 10 years old or so. Um, uh, my parents are both not entrepreneurs in any way, shape or form. Um, they're both kind of have like quite strong academic backgrounds. Um, my dad has been working as a lecturer, basically his whole, whole professional life. <clears throat> my mom is now a, um, a psychiatrist, but before that, she also worked quite a lot within um, universities. Uh, so nothing like what, what I'm doing now. Um, very, very different. Um, I have a younger brother as well who, uh, I mean, I think he's still figuring out exactly what he wants to do, but um, is, is also not, you know, hugely kind of entrepreneurially inclined. So, yeah, um, it, I mean, it's quite different. So. So you're the first in the family to, uh, well, but as a child growing up when in South Africa or later when you probably, uh, later you moved to the UK, as a child, did you have aspirations to become a businessman one day? Um, I mean, from when I was probably about 12 or 13 or so, yes. Um, before that, I wanted to become an astronaut and all kinds of other things. Um, but uh, one thing that I always enjoyed from a very young age is creating things and also like kind of bringing people together to work on on something together. So I think like those are two traits um, that I've always had, which definitely help with um, starting a business. Right. And wh where did that like desire come from that, you know, the, the desire to lead, the desire to bring people together, get create things together? Um. It's difficult to say. I mean, I really enjoy creating things. I really enjoy um, kind of making things that improve people's lives. Um, and I, I wanted, I wanted, and still absolutely want to do that on a very large scale. Um, and you know, and that's kind of what I'm, what I'm working towards. I, I don't know exactly where that necessarily came from, but I, um, yeah. I've noticed about myself. Like, I get a lot of enjoyment out of 
helping other people in, in some way. I wouldn't say like, you know, in, in some ways I'm absolutely attracted to like leadership roles, but then in other ways I'm, I'm absolutely not. Um, you know, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm not a big fan of like, you know, hierarchies, I, I guess in, inherently, you know, I don't sort of see myself as better than anyone else. I very much think that respect is something that, you know, is, is earned. Um, and, and so is, you know, not respecting someone that's also earned. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, but but I mean, then again, I th I think probably um, a lot of the, the the best leaders out there aren't like kind of obsessed with the idea of being a leader. Absolutely, that's the sign of a of a good leader to not to be obsessed. And leadership doesn't uh, somehow we uh, we have this uh, tendency to put leader as on top of a ladder and uh, everyone else uh, you know at at the bottom. But that's not really really leader is like someone who's Who's able to uh, bring the be the catalyst and bring people together, and that's that's what you uh, have been. You're inherently, uh, you know, you're you're interested in, right? Um, so tell us about that movement. Like, so after uh, up the age of ten, uh, did you move to the? How did you? When did you move to the UK? Yeah, well, I, I lived in Germany first for for a couple of years, and and then moved to the UK. Um, mainly, uh, well, initially in, in England. Um, and and then um, in the past couple of years in, in Wales. All right, all right. And uh, so once, like you know, tell us about your schooling part. And like, at at what time did you, uh, at what age uh, did you think that okay, you're going to start? Um, you know, I, I believe you you were doing it alongside your schooling when you were. Uh, yeah. Months. Well. <laughs> I think alongside is probably quite generous. I mean, I, I was um, I, I was neglecting school massively and, and really focusing on trying to, you know, start various kinds of online businesses um, growing up. So, I mean, it was probably from when I was about 12, 13 kind of age um, is when I, it's essentially that, that was what my focus was on. I was thinking that, you know, if, if I learn, how to make money online, um, you know, if I build a good network, if I just have trial and error for, you know, a few years, then maybe I'll be in a position where when I kind of leave um, university or, or leave school or whatever, like be in a position to go into business full time um, because I didn't want to uh, go kind of, and, you know, kind of get a tr traditional job. Um, so that's really what I focus on. Um, I could have done a much better in school, probably if I was interested in concentrating on that. But from a young age, I, I realized that that wasn't the right thing for me to be focusing on. Um, it led to a lot of kind of, um, you know, arguments with my parents and, and teachers and so on. But I was very headstrong, um, you know, uh, trusted my gut. And I then was in a very fortunate position to be able to go full time into kind of you know running um, and building a business um, out of formal education, right? That's uh, yeah. I mean, I can imagine your your parents must be really uh, worried about like you not not focusing on the on the academics. Since given that they both are from in the academics, uh, I mean, your parents are you know uh, in the, your father is a professor, so it's like all the more. The, the importance of education and like hey you must you must study and things like that right there must be a lot of pressure and what kind of businesses uh, were you starting and tell us about that like what did you start with what what did that trans transition into 
Sure. Well, I, I mean, basically anything and everything. Um, so I've tried setting up, you know, drop shipping stores. I've tried um, doing like web development, online marketing, all kinds of services, um, you know, re really like so many different things. I've tried like sort of um, buying and, and reselling um, all kinds of different physical goods. Um, I did um, another random things I did uh, like web domain uh, kind of trading for a, for a while so you know buying um shorts and sort of rare domain names and then reselling those um at a, at a profit so i've i've like i've tried basically everything <laughs> or or at least a, a lot of different things um i certainly kind of lacked focus uh you know when when, when i was um some, somewhat younger but then uh you know uh, I, I then then again like looking back i don't think i would have done anything differently um because now i know a little bit about a lot of different things and that to me is is um, very very valuable yeah and that's i think that's really commendable and remarkable really that uh, at the at the young age you were already you were educating yourself in a different way right rather than the academics you were in a, your own trial and error, you're trying to figure out different businesses. And uh, did it involve any kind of, uh, did, did you have to fund the businesses? Like when you set up something, uh, did you have to pay something from your pocket to uh, build that business? Um, I mean, some sometimes yes, but, you know, it, it would be like below 50 USD or so in most cases, especially at the beginning, like, you know, it would be kind of saving up uh, pocket money and, and you know, various other things like for for a while um, and then using that for it. I mean, at that point, and I think still to a large degree, like my most valuable commodity is my my time and my um, sort of skill set that I've, I've built up. Um, but especially at that point where I, I really had a like basically complete lack of funds. I mean, many of the projects I started, I started literally with nothing. Um, and that taught me a lot. It also now puts me in a position where I can, you know, manage the kind of run a much tighter ship because for such a long time, I absolutely had to. Um, and, and that's something I'm, I'm very grateful for. I'm very grateful actually that my parents didn't, you know, just give me, you know, like a lot of money to, um, start a business or, or, or something, you know, I, I mean, they, they didn't give me anything, but, you know, they certainly, could have given me something maybe not a small loan of a million dollars like like trump but um they could have you know given me something but i'm very very glad that they didn't because i i don't think that i would be um in the position i am today had, had they done that absolutely yeah yeah and you've you've learned like every part of the business in your uh, on your own right um so t tell us about like you know when you built uh, se several businesses at the at the age of 13 12 13 okay how did things progress after that like wh what happened to did you register a company on your own like did you set up a company name um well yeah i, I mean like it, it essentially things became kind of you know more and more serious as i as i was moving along so initially it was you know I'd set something up online for like nothing and make like a hundred dollars or something and be like very happy about it, you know, like being 12 or 13 or whatever. Um, but then as time went on, you know, I was thinking more and more like, okay, how can I actually like build something that can not only sustain me, but actually, you know, like um, grow and make a big difference and, and maybe sustain other people too. Um, 
so yeah, as I was going on, it, it kind of turned into more and more serious projects. Brilliant, brilliant. And how, how did, uh, like, w when did you get the idea of Rebel Answer as a concept? When did that name come up, uh, come to your mind? Well, the name actually came to, to my mind after we um, received a, a kind of a very threatening legal letter um, when our about our previous name from a very large player in the field who decided to, you know, uh, maybe pick on um, some smaller players, even though they are worth billions for now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, but essentially our new name is is much better than than the old name. Um, ultimately, our I mean, the new name Revolancer combines revolution and freelancer, which is exactly what we what we are aiming to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love I love that it, it it combines revolution and freelancer, and uh, so you're you're uh, you're you know creating a revolution in the freelance world here, helping uh, freelancers. Tell us more about that. Tell us more about like what revolancer does really as a business and how do, how does it help, uh, help people? Sure. So essentially, um, you know, we're looking to kind of fill the void of uh, where other large platforms have just been letting freelancers down for unfortunately a very long period of time and and they and what they do what's very common practice throughout the industry is to take 20 percent of um, freelancers earnings if not more um and essentially to enforce that they then uh, don't let freelancers email their clients they don't let freelancers video call with their clients you know phone call anything like that um, so that they don't, you know, establish contact off platform in a way that um, these platforms can't monitor, and then they lose out on on, on money. Um, but essentially, we don't charge commission fees. We allow people to speak outside the platform, um, and ultimately, our sort of goal is to prioritize freelancers and make their lives easy, um, because that way clients actually get the best possible product you know they get the best value for their money if we're not um charging freelancers a, a huge tax basically to be on the platform and disrupting their workflow um and, and all of this so it's uh, i think a very simple philosophy um it's it's a, a shame frankly that it's necessary to to even be doing something like this but it is um and and we are and well i think um we're already starting to make some change, but my goal over the next, you know, five to ten years is to um, have a, you know, really change the space a lot for the better. Wow, that's that's very very interesting. What's your business model like then? In I mean, if you're you're not charging freelancers a commission or something, and so what's what is the what is the business model of freelancer then? Well, you know what's what's quite funny actually is um, if you look at a platform like Fiverr, who charge twenty percent to the freelancer and five percent to the client, so you know the, the roughly a quarter of every transaction. Um, if they would just charge all of their freelancers five dollars uh, per month, they would be making the same revenue that they do, do doing this. You know the the way that they've currently chosen to to do things. Um, so for the time being, we're kind of partnering with um, different. Uh, you know, uh, companies that are looking to hire freelancers and sort of charging them to, um, you know, advertise their jobs and, and, and availabilities to freelancers on, on the platform. So that's kind of the B2B side. But then on the B2C side, um, we're going to have, um, you know, optional paid plans in the future for, for like power user freelancers as well. Um, but the platform will always be available for, for free and you'll certainly be able to get started and get to the point, you know, where you can then decide to, 
to pay um you know for free on the platform wow that's that's brilliant so this is like you you're striking a balance between what the businesses pay versus what the freelancers have to pay and then you're making it you're you're turning the other way around and looking you know charging the clients or the businesses rather than charging the freelancers who are trying to make a living out of doing a small job right yes absolutely mm. yeah and uh, any any particular uh, incident or any particular testimony that comes to your mind that where you know a freelancer trying to do something and and, and you know made a, your your mission your company has made a difference in their life anything that comes to mind a lot um i mean we get a lot of uh i i get a lot of messages on linkedin and 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 emails every day um but you know so, so we also get just as a company in general a lot of people reaching out um, very positive messages which is is really fantastic um but i suppose one thing that um, you know probably shows shows some some promise is the largest influence in the freelancing space who was uh you know for a long time known as the fiber millionaire Alex Fasulo who has i think 840,000 followers or so on social media um she is uh, kind of now in- endorsing Revolanza um which is is really fantastic and and she uh, mentioned us in a, in a business insider article that she wrote in a, in a bunch of other things too so you know i i think that's uh definitely a a, a nice um testimony yeah that's brilliant and more to come because there are, i mean it, the, the kind of work that you're doing i'm sure it will be recognized a lot more um but when you look at your life as a businessman now versus uh, you, you don't have your own reference as a job life because you didn't work for anyone else but then you've you've seen your parents uh, you know working uh, in a job right so what is it about being a businessman that you enjoy the most what is it that you like the most um i think it's probably the you know freedom and flexibility even though in many ways you have less freedom and flexibility but you know i, I think just overall like i think if you work and and i mean and i did um work experience actually for a um a a risk assessment company in London for for a couple of weeks when I was 15 or 16 and that helped me really you know just un, you know absolutely understand that this is not not for me i think the the main thing is that um what's really important to me and this is absolutely the the culture in our company as well is that um you know the the best idea is the best idea it doesn't matter who proposed it right and i think that in a lot of um traditional workplaces there's a lot of hierarchy that gets in the way of that so you know even if you see an issue with something um or have a very good you know much better idea oftentimes you know the 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 boss doesn't want their um ego hurt and um you know and 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 it's their way that that sort of wins um and that's an absolutely not how we do things at revolanza um i frequently say to the team um even if my ideas get shot down every single time that's absolutely fine if the company is then you know choosing the and going ahead with the best ideas um but i think that there aren't many companies that that think like that yeah and i i think that that's a very very important lesson here in terms of culture um to have 
you know, that kind of a culture in the, in the company. How, how big is your team? Ooh, good question. I mean, we're we're hiring for a bunch of roles at the moment. Um, we're 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 just un, just under twenty now, I think. Um, just under twenty now and and, and growing. Wow. And when in your business or in your in your company, like, uh, and this is kind of a culture question here. Uh, if you take your your company, your uh, as in your employees, your team, uh, you've got your clients uh, who pays the bill for the uh, and you've got your um, the, the investors whom you're you know you need to make money for the, the, the profit part right when you look at these three elements what's your order of importance uh, what comes first in your your employees clients investors well i mean it's worth mentioning that that we are heavily loss making at the moment um, by by design um, you know because we're essentially looking to grow at a very fast pace um, and that's exactly what the investors who are backing us are, are looking for as well um i mean it's I, I i wouldn't say like sort of any any one of them is is much more important than another one i think there's a there's a fine kind of balance be between those things um but i think you know if if, if you get the balance right and, and and do everything really well then um you know, there's a there's a chance that that everyone's happy. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. This is so so you. It's it's a balance, and and that's what your business is all about. Like to, to strike a balance with industry. And uh, so, uh, t tell us about the investment part here. Like, I mean, you've got like we like we mentioned in in the introduction that uh, you know you you managed to raise seven hundred thousand dollars to uh, to fund the business. Um, how did that go? And this is uh, uh, this is like I would like to, you to kind of uh, elaborate on this because this is very very important for the for the audience who uh, want to start a business and they want to go out and get investors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, kind of the initially when I started Revelancer, I started it with basically nothing in my dorm room at university halfway through my final year. Um, I then briefly after kind of coming up with the idea for Revlons, I saw that my university had a startup competition um, where you could pitch your business to a panel of judges and then the winner um, wins some seed money. Um, so I did that. I, you know, spent about two, three months absolutely obsessively focusing on this competition, like learning everything I could about previous winners, everything I could about kind of the, the judges, um, tailored my, my pitch, um, Quite effectively to that um, and then I won both of the main prizes in that competition um, which was about you know probably 15,000 USD or so like one one five thousand USD um, which is you know I was at that point far more money than I had ever had you know to start a business but in the grand scheme of things it's not it's not a lot of money to to start a business at all um, but essentially you know with that I then spent the next six months kind of and um, bring a couple co-founders on board building the, the platform getting to the first like 150 users or so. Um, and then, you know, it was time to raise a larger pot of funding because at that point I, I wasn't, um, you know, kind of paying myself at all uh, or, or like basically no, no one at the business was being paid at that point. Um, but then when it came to raising external investment and, you know, in much larger amount, um, I reached out to other founders who had previously secured funding and I learned from them 
Um, and then, you know, in kind of meeting with them and working with them a lot, I then started reaching out to investors myself. Um, I was lucky enough to have a couple of introductions as well. Um, and then we, when we actually went to raise the pre-seed round, we raised the whole amount in in basically in, in two days. I mean, obviously there was a lot more. There was like a few weeks after that of um, due diligence and um, wiring the money and so on. But we had all of the funds committed within two days and like three meetings. Um, so that was, you know, an incredible experience. Um, but it couldn't have happened without, you know, speaking to and learning from people who have done that before. Yeah. And and when you go and pitch to investors, there are a lot of uh, questions and sometimes, well, often uncomfortable questions that come your way about the businesses. Uh, do you remember any such uh, question that came your way about uh, how you're going to make money and what was your response to that? Um, I mean, at, at the time, we had a different kind of model. So at, at, at this time, we were thinking about basically still charging a commission fee, but basically, you know, just a much fairer commission fee, because I, in, in my humble opinion, 20% is not not fair at all. Um, but essentially, you know, we, we, we changed tack then uh, a few months later and removed commission fees completely and looked at other means of, of monetization. Um, yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of, of difficult questions, but ultimately the important thing is to be honest, um, but also to like read between the lines of what they're asking, because oftentimes people will um, have a specific concern but maybe they haven't quite realized it themselves or they don't want to just, you know, blatantly come out and say it. And then they'll ask you a question that kind of hints at that concern, but the question is actually something else. And it's about, you know, and this is, um, you know, something I've kind of worked on over time, but just kind of being able to like spot with some degree of accuracy, like what are they actually asking? What are they actually hesitant about? And then, giving them, you know, the answer or reassurance that they need. Or frankly, if it's not for them, then, you know, uh, we, you know, kind of both politely move on and with, with our days um, and, and, and I speak to someone else who um, it might well be for. Right, right. So th th there are a couple of things here that you've mentioned. I think it's very, very, very important. One is to, to be able to spot the concern behind the question and the other is to be honest and open about things and say that you know it's it's just a it's uh, it's a matchmaking. It may work, may not work, and if the match doesn't work, you just move on with, with a smile. And uh, that's that's brilliant. And um, when you you know look at look at this time frame, I, I want to get an idea about the time frame part here as well. So how long has it been since you first raised? The, the fifteen thousand dollars to now um, that the, the size of the company that you've built so far. Uh, so it's been about two, uh, slightly over two years from from that point. Um, we're now just starting our seed round, so we're raising multiples of of you know what we've raised total to to date, which is really exciting. You know where where that can bring us as a company. Um, but yeah, it's been you know about two two and a half years or so since we got started. With the platform has been live for just under two years now, like between eighteen months and two years. Um, and yeah, and I mean you know for a while when we launched the platform, we grew 
what I thought at the time was fast and uh, well com compared to now is, is certainly not. Um, so, you know, it took us a few months to get to a thousand users and now we're getting more than a thousand users every day. So, um, you know, wow. it's, it's certainly ex accelerated a lot. And so very exciting journey. Brilliant. Wow. And, uh, and that's, that's incredible growth in, in a couple of years. Uh, uh, so, um, when when you uh, look back at the time when you know when you started versus now the kind of business that you've grown um, and the, the journey that you've had, uh, who would you like to give the credit to, or who are the people that you'd like to thank um, for your success? I mean, probably first and foremost, like the people sort of close to me, um, because you know, like like my 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 partner, friends, family, etc., um, because. I mean, like, you know, being an entrepreneur is not easy if you're doing it right. Um, and, you know, it, it, it can be a very difficult road. Um, and it's very important to have like a good kind of um, sort of personal support network. Um, but then outside of that, you know, I wouldn't be... Um, I, you know, I wouldn't have achieved nearly as much as I, as I have at, at a quite a young age. Um, if it wasn't for lots of people who have achieved a lot, who I reached out to and bugged and, you know, tried to speak to and learn from, um, if it wasn't for their generosity and and, and helping me out. Um, and still, you know, I, I still speak to uh, lots of people on a regular basis who have achieved a lot throughout their careers and, and learn from them, you know, so so that I can learn faster myself. Um, and, and, well, I'm very grateful for that. Brilliant. There is there is one thing I want to ask about the uh, investment part, and you know, um, when when you bring in when you go out and raise funds and bring in a lot of investors, right? Uh, with every fundraising, you give out a share of your company, and uh, so like for uh, I'm I've, I've got this question from a lot of uh, aspiring entrepreneurs, and this is why I wanted to want you to explain being in that shoe. Uh, that how does it work? Like, what portion of your company do you still own, and then what portion out there is like is given out to the, the investors? Sure. Well, um, in our case, you know, between my co-founders and I, we own about seventy percent. About ten percent is owned. Uh, it's kind of an, an um, employee stock options pool, so it's owned by the people who work for us and advisors, etc. Um, and then the remaining 20% or so is um, owned by investors. I think a key thing to think about here is you aren't like giving away a part of your company. You are increasing the amount of shares. You're kind of issuing new shares and giving those to investors. So, you know, you still have the same amount of shares, but, you, you know, you aren't like sort of sending your shares to the investor. You're making new shares and giving it to the investors. So, your, you know, you in theory still have the the well you know in practice you still have the same amount of shares um, but the pie has become bigger you know and the pie is becoming bigger because you know the investors bringing money to the table and, and buying new shares that the company is issuing and i know that lots of people have um you know big concerns about giving away sort of portions of their company but then again i mean think about it this way would you rather own you know, 100% of your local corner store, would you rather own 0.001% of Google? You know, like it, it, it's, I mean, it, like, you know, the, the, the bottom line essentially is there isn't a wrong answer to that question. I mean, obviously the, the Google example will make you much wealthier. Um, 
but it's about you know doing what's right right by you and if you don't want to be sort of accountable to any investors or shareholders or so and you just want to do your thing and not be accountable to anyone um and and you know and may, maybe not at a huge scale and that's what you're happy with then then absolutely that's what you should do but if you have ambitions to build a very very large company at a very big scale you absolutely can't do it by yourself and you have to you have to be willing to share so that everyone can you know have a smaller piece of a much much bigger pie absolutely and it's all about building that pie you're building your pie, and uh, in in this process, like in your experience, have you had any uh, any investors intruding into the uh, into the decision making and you know, making things uh, difficult for you? Absolutely not. Um, but that's also because I have spoken to lots of other founders who have had investors who sort of act like that, which frankly isn't in the best interest of of anyone, right? Because if you're investing in a company you kind of need to trust the you know the founding team the kind of leadership team to make the right decisions even if you know if it maybe doesn't make sense to you or you you disagree you you kind of defer to that because you know they are there every day it doesn't mean they can't make a mistake but ultimately they're probably going to, to know better um and if you as an investor then trying to interject your your own opinion, um, it, it, it could cause issues. I mean, absolutely, like su suggest things and, and have a conversation. Um, but, you know, the horror stories I've, I've heard is where, you know, investors like sort of trying to overrule and and all this kind of stuff. And it just never really turn, turns out well, um, unless the founders maybe completely kind of gone off the rails. But that's that's different. Um, but, you know, I'm very I'm also very picky in the investors who I, I choose to work with. You know, in terms of who I reach out to, in terms of in a pitch call, you know, I'm sort of finding out about them and judging whether I want to work with them just as much as they are, um, you know, doing with me. Um, and then, you know, I, I so far, um, all of the investors we have are, are lovely. Um, I, I highly respect all of them. Many of them have suggested lots of, you know, kind of great ideas and things that, that we have integrated, but none of them have kind of, you know, try, try and come along and, you know, bulldoze their opinions through or anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, as a founder, you also have to, you know, be a little bit picky about who you work with. Yeah, yeah. So, so luckily, luckily, no investor bullying here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, um, Carl. For for the audience who would like, who are you know, for those the freelancers among the audience, people who would like to uh, reach out to you and be part of your network and uh, and grow, uh, you know, benefit from the services that you provide, or the businesses that you'd like that would like to benefit from the services that you provide. What's the best way to reach out to you? Sure. Well, um, I mean, if you want to, you know, check out the Revlance platform, then just Google Revlance. Um, and if you want to reach out to me, then LinkedIn is probably the best way. So if you just, again, like Google my name or search me on LinkedIn, it'll come up and and you'll be able to contact me. Definitely. And uh, you're, I mean, you're, you're quite popular. So yeah, Googling your name itself is like enough to you know, bring in the results. But we're going to include the link to your website and uh, your LinkedIn profile in the show notes and in the description for YouTube, so people can kind uh, of know um, how, how to get uh, how to reach out. Um, one final question before we wrap up here, Carl: How was your experience being on the Be Your Own Boss podcast? It's been a real pleasure. You know, I've really enjoyed kind of talking about um, lots of different things. 
uh, you know, fun, always being, it's always fun being introspective about, you know, um, experiences growing up and how that maybe in, influenced where I am today. But, you know, ultimately the bottom line is that um, I hope it's been helpful to, you know, at, at least one person um, listening in, in the audience. Um, and, you know, and, and hopefully a, a, um, something that I said today can help um, improve someone's situation in some way. Absolutely. And that's my hope as well. And this is the reason why uh, I, I do this podcast here, that someone somewhere gets inspired by one single sentence. Sometimes just one line can change lives. So and that's the hope. And uh, well, Carl, thank you so much for taking our time and sharing your journey, sharing your story with us. It was a wonderful conversation. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that was Carl Swanapal, the founder of Revolancer. And you've been watching and listening to Be Your Own Boss. Oh, oh, oh.